0: In Hebrews 10, uh, verse 10, we read, by the which will we are sanctified uh, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And again in verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. These and many other passages of holy writ. Uh, the basis of the instruction in our catechism, and Lord's Day 15. What dost thou understand by the words he suffered, uh, that he, all the time that he lived on earth, uh, but especially at the end of his life, sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. That so by his passion as the only propitiatory sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God righteousness and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge, that he being innocent and yet condemned by a temporal judge, might thereby free us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed? Is there anything more in his being crucified And then if he had died some other death, yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that he took on him the curse which lay upon me. For the death of the cross was a curse of God. We shall not have a long introduction, beloved because the time is short and the material in this Lord's day is rather rich. We understand, of course, that in this Lord's day the sentences or clauses, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And was crucified. I treated, and therefore, in this morning hour, we wish to speak for a moment on the suffering of Christ, and ask the question: What was the nature of his suffering? In the second place, what was the purpose of his suffering? And finally, what was the fruit of his suffering? The suffering of Christ, its character or nature, its purpose and its fruit. Of course, beloved, we must throughout uh, this meditation of the suffering of Christ remember uh, that we have here a brief exposition not simply of the objective doctrine of the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus, uh, but Of the spiritual application of it. We have here a confession of faith. Must never forget that. And that confession of faith is not simply that I believe that Jesus suffered and that he died and that he was crucified, everyone can believe that, that's simply a fact. Uh, But it means, beloved, uh, that we apply to ourselves uh, that which is expressed in this present Lord Day as to the contents and meaning and purpose of the suffering of Christ. Do you and I believe that in ourselves we are under condemnation, that's important, otherwise we can never reach the cross? Do you and I believe that in ourselves, We are under the wrath of God. Also then we can only then reach the cross of Christ. Not otherwise. Do you and I believe that we are under the curse, according to the expression of the catechism here. Moreover, do you and I believe in our Lord Jesus Christ? Believe in him? Do you believe that he died and suffered and bore the wrath of God and the curse? for us, for you and for me. That's the all important question. Otherwise it's no use, beloved, to even discuss this thing. And therefore, do you believe that Christ offered the only uh, propitiatory sacrifice for you and for me. And that because uh, that propitiatory sacrifice he offered for you and for me, therefore uh, we can also rejoice in the fruit of that suffering of Christ. Rejoice in righteousness so that we believe that we are no more in sin and condemnation, but we are righteous. That we enjoy the favor of God is covenant favor. And that in and through that covenant favor, we have eternal life. That's the question. We must bear that in mind uh, throughout our discussion. And then, beloved, I was to say, first of all, that according to the Catechism, uh, Jesus Christ suffered all his life, not only under Pontius Pilate, but all his life. And I think uh, we can expand on that little. And I think we could say uh, that Christ suffered Even all through the old dispensation, Christ suffered. He suffered all through the old dispensation because the seed of the serpent attempted and did crush the heel of the seed of the womb. That's why Christ suffered. He suffered in his people, but nevertheless he suffered. It it was his people that suffered. When Cain killed Abel, beloved, the devil meant to kill Christ. And so it was all through the Old Dispensation. And Pharaoh tried to uh, exterminate the people of God in Egypt. The devil tried to exterminate the seed of the woman. Christ. That he could never come. Christ suffered. Christ suffered in Egypt. Christ suffered in the desert. Christ suffered all through the history of Israel, in Babylon. Christ went to Babylon. Principally it was Christ. When Haman tried to kill the Jews, the devil attempted to kill Christ. That was his purpose. so all the way through the Old Testament. That's also very evident uh, from uh, the literal meaning of Scripture in the Old Testament. For instance, in the Psalms, beloved. How could you ever sing, as we did this morning, my God, my God, I cry to thee. Oh, why hast thou forsaken me, every person for Christ?" Christ said that in Psalm 22, Oh David did, but Christ principally. And so it is in many, many Psalms. Christ speaks, in Psalm 69 for it. Christ speaks of a suffering. As so it is in the prophets, think of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of the Lord. You cannot understand the Old Testament unless you remember that principally the Old Testament speaks of Christ. No, I dare say more. In the Old Testament, Christ speaks. The suffering Christ speaks. And of course, uh, that is true of all the symbols, isn't it so? Of all the symbols of the old disposition, of all the sacrifices, all the sacrifices speak of Christ. There would be no sense in any sacrifice if it wasn't for the fact that Christ sacrificed himself for his people all the way through the old disposition. And then, of course, Christ came. And even then, uh, we can certainly say that Christ suffered all his life. No question about that, he suffered all his life. Uh, it does seem that way at first blush. We don't know much about the life of Christ, we don't know much about the early life of Christ, anyway. Uh, But it seems uh, that his life was rather normal. How then can a catechism say, beloved, uh, that Christ suffered all his life? We must remember a few things. In the first place, uh, that Christ but the Son of God who came into our flesh and blood and into our world and as that as the Son of God, he assumed our nature and the likeness of sinful flesh, but but without sin. He was perfectly righteous, and perfectly holy, and perfectly without sin. And then we must remember beloved that that person of the Son of God, dwelling in our nature, in our weak human nature, capable of suffering, but in our nature holy and righteous before God and living in the midst of the world upon which the wrath of God rested all the time. That the Son of God in the likeness of our sinful flesh suffered because of that. No question about it. The very fact that it dwelt in our nature and in the midst of a sinful world upon which the curse of God rested, was to great suffering, was suffering for Christ, of even that. In the second place, we must remember and that the character of Jesus' suffering was, according to the catechism and according to our scripture, that he bore the wrath of God. And therefore, he bore the curse all his life. Not only on the cross, but all his life, he bore the wrath of God. The wrath of God, as you know, is God's holy and righteous anger. Complete anger against sin and against the sinner. That's God's wrath. We must remember that and it, uh, well, to repeat it, beloved, because uh, that is one of the most important fundamental doctrines: that God is angry with the sinner every day. And that there cannot possibly any grace or favor of God upon the sinner. That's important. It's a very serious error to deny that, beloved. Very serious error to uh, propose that there is grace of God apart from Christ. common a grace, so called. That's impossible. possible, that's a wicked, wicked theory. Don't forget that, the three points are wicked, they're not innocent, they're wicked, positively wicked, because they deny the fundamental truth of Scripture that God is angry with the wicked every day and that his wrath only is upon the wicked. That's fundamental. Mustn't have that. And because of that wrath of God upon the wicked, beloved, therefore the curse of God is upon the wicked. And as I said some some time ago, the curse of God is the Word of God that causes the sinner to be miserable. That's the curse. The curse of God, I say, is the Word of God that causes the sinner to be miserable in every way. Miserable in soul and body, and miserable forever. miserable. Because of the one word death. God kills the sinner. He cannot give the sinner life, He kills him. And that God so kills the sinner is principally because the goodness and righteousness and holiness of God must be manifested in that suffering of the sinner. Well, Christ bore that wrath, beloved. Don't make a mistake. That Christ bore the wrath of God does not mean that God was angry with Christ or that he hated Christ. That isn't so. That's impossible. Any step of the way, God could say to Christ, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is so. God never was angry with Christ. God never hated Christ. Simply because every step of the way, Christ was obedient. Obedient obedient even under the wrath of God obedient even under the curse and because even under the curse Christ was perfectly obedient therefore every step of the way although the wrath of God rested upon Christ he was never angry and hated Christ personally oh no but then what does it mean that the wrath of God rested upon Christ, beloved? It means that all the suffering, and all the pain, and all the agony, and all the death, and all the hell of that wrath rested upon Christ. The effect of the wrath. Christ bore. The effect of the curse, Christ bore. Never did God say to Christ, I curse thee, or no, but he said to Christ, I want you to bear that curse to the end. The suffering of that curse, I want you to bear. That's what Christ did. Exactly that, beloved. That was the character of the suffering of Christ, the character of it, from beginning to end. Oh, of course, especially on the cross. Uh, There was an increase, oh yes, at the end of his life, uh, Christ suffered much more. Uh, then at the beginning, starts to read. One, when when was a babe in the manger, beloved, the wrath of God pressed upon him. He did, it did. Oh yes, uh, but he was uh, he was a babe. He, he couldn't be very conscious of that wrath of God, even though he was the Son of God in that human nature. He could hardly be conscious of that wrath of God. But as he grew up. And as he became more and more conscious, as he did, of the end, he became conscious of the end more and more, beloved. That is, he became conscious of the cross, he walked deliberately the way of the cross, especially at the very end of his life. Christ walked the way of the cross deliberately, willfully. And walking the way of the cross, he sometimes was terribly afraid. He was afraid of God. The wrath of God pressed on him more and more. The suffering of that wrath of God and the curse was experienced by him more and more. And that finally, in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, please, please, but not as I will, but as thy will. Nevertheless, he was obedient. Obedient even in his anguish, even in his fear, even though he was afraid of the way he must travel, he was nevertheless always obedient. And so he went to the accursed tree when he was 33 years old. At the end of his life, the catechism says, especially at the end of his life, but that end of his life was not the natural end, beloved. Christ didn't become old. He couldn't become old anyway. Uh, Christ must uh, die and shed his lifeblood. I would say, in the full strength of his life. I think that was about 33 years. Must not die when he's 80 or 70, as an old man. He must die in the very strength of his life because he must pour out his own lifeblood, and therefore he must also die on the cross, on the cross, in the first place because, as I said a moment ago, he must pour out his lifeblood. Must, they must not take it from him, they must simply open his body, beloved, and for six hours he must pour out his lifeblood himself. In the second place, because according to Scripture, the tree was a curse, and therefore it was a symbol of the curse, the cross was a symbol of the curse, and therefore Being the symbol of the curse on that cross, Christ could finally cry out what he already cried out in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the character of Christ's suffering. Bearing the wrath of God. Bearing the suffering of the wrath of God. Bearing the suffering of the curse bearing the suffering of the curse to the very end. He did that, beloved, for you and for me, otherwise you and I would surely go to hell No question about it. If it hadn't been for Christ, we all would surely go into eternal desolation. We all would go to hell if it hadn't been for Christ. Because the catechism says, beloved, That the suffering of Christ was a propitiatory sacrifice. Propitiatory sacrifice. What does that mean? What is really the meaning of propitiation? And that's it is a Zoom offer. Propitiatory sacrifice and thus is Zun offer. And Zun offer uh, means a sacrifice that affects a reconciliation, a reconciliatory sacrifice. So, a propitiatory sacrifice, beloved, is a sacrifice in the first place that affects the change of us not of God, God doesn't change, but affects the change of us uh, from wrath into favor. That's a propitiatory sacrifice. A sacrifice, let me repeat that a moment. A sacrifice that affects a change for us, not for God, God has changed, but a change for us from wrath into favor, and a change for us from curse into blessing. That's a propitiatory sacrifice. Remember that. And of course, the ground of that propitiatory sacrifice, in the second place, is satisfaction. Complete satisfaction of the justice and righteousness of God over against sin. That's a propitiatory sacrifice. And that satisfaction, beloved, is the act None of us, we couldn't satisfy. We can't even say that that satisfaction is only the act of Christ. Oh no, that satisfaction is the act of God through Christ. God himself Who loved us, even from before the foundation of the world. Who loved us, even though we were the objects of his wrath in sin and death and the curse. God himself made that satisfaction. He sent his son, the triune God, I mean, the triune God. He sent his son. He sent his son to the cross. He caused his son to bear the wrath of God forever. Take it away forever, that wrath of God. He caused his son completely to satisfy just justice the righteousness of God. Are that possible? Well, there are different reasons, and I will simply enumerate them. The first reason is, of course, uh, that Christ, as the righteous servant of God, was obedient. Obedient satisfaction of uh, the wrath of God over against sin means that he that satisfies must be obedient under wrath. A man, a man that stands in righteousness of himself like Adam, He didn't have to satisfy, but nevertheless had to obey from step to step in order to remain under the favor of God. Uh, But Christ had to bear the wrath of God against sin, and therefore under the wrath of God Christ had to obey, obey in love. And to love God even in his wrath. And to say to God, Yes, Father, I know that thy wrath is just. Let me suffer it. Even to the end. In the war, to the very end. Through the cross. And satisfy the justice of God. The second place. that was possible because God had appointed Christ from all eternity to be the head of the elect, otherwise that still would be impossible. If Christ had not been appointed the head of the elect, beloved, satisfaction could not have been made. Would, would have been impossible. But that's not true. Christ represented us at the cross, and all, in all his suffering, it represented us. It represented us before the face of God. And because Christ represented us before the face of God, therefore he could satisfy for the sin of his people, according to God's own decree. And finally, of course, that it was possible because Christ was the eternal Son of God in the flesh. All oh, that sacrifice of Christ was of infinite value of infinite value. The Catechism says that uh, uh, Christ bore the wrath of God uh, for the sin of all mankind, I think that's the way it expresses it. The wrath of God for the sin of all mankind. What does that mean? Does the catechism, perhaps, mean to say, beloved, that Christ suffered the wrath of God for everybody? Is that perhaps the idea? That's what he says here, in body and soul he bore the wrath of God against the sins of all mankind. Is that possible that Christ really died for everybody? Is that possible? We answer no in the first place because of Scripture. That's not the Bible. The Bible everywhere teaches that God died only for his people, and his people are the elect. But then, does the catechism perhaps mean to say uh, that uh, Christ uh, died for everybody if we are only willing to accept him? Is the promise of the death of Christ for everybody if we only believe, if, 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 if? No, no, beloved. Also, that is not true. That's our meaning doctrine, not scripture. Faith is not of us, but of God. And that we receive the gift of faith is already because of the righteousness of Christ which is suffered. According to which he suffered the wrath of God on the cross, God, the righteous. On the basis of that righteousness, we receive all the gifts of salvation. That's good. Yeah? But then, may we say perhaps uh, that uh, the suffering and death of Christ was sufficient to save everybody? I don't think so, beloved. I don't think so. Can even say that? Or oh, we may, we may certainly say that uh, the death of Christ was infinite in value. There would no end to it, of God. The eternal Son of God in human flesh died. The death of the cross, because of the wrath of God, and. That eternal Son of God undoubtedly gave eternal value, infinite value to your suffering. But that does not mean, beloved, that Christ shed a drop of blood in vain. No, sir. He did not waste one drop of blood. Every drop of blood on the cross was necessary without any question. Oh no, but we must take that expression organically. A vine is a vine even though many branches are cut off. And mankind is mankind even though there are many reprobate that are cut off, beloved. The vine is essentially vine because it bears fruit. Mankind is essentially mankind because they are the elect, essentially, not all, but the elect are the true mankind. And Christ bore the sin of all mankind in that sense of the word, in order that we might be free. Well. A few words about that fruit. It's time. The fruit occurred of the catechism is threefold. Righteousness, including freedom from damnation and the curse. The favor of God, including is covenant fellowship, Christ established His covenant in His uh, God's covenant in His death, beloved. Thirdly, eternal life. That's the fruit. The fruit for you and for me, not if. If, if you believe, but when the faith in Jesus Christ is implanted into your heart by the God of our salvation. And if you say with me, I do, I do, and I hope you do. No, I know you do, as you've heard the preaching concerning the suffering of Christ in this morning hour, and have responded to uh, that proclamation of the Word of God, I I know you do say, with me, not I believe that Christ suffered and that Christ died, but I believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. In expressing that faith, beloved, I say, then you have in your heart the testimony of God that He declares you righteous. And then you have in your heart the testimony of God that His favor is upon you instead of Israel. And then you have in your heart the testimony of God, that you are heir of eternal life in God's eternal and perfect tabernacle. Amen. Sanctify thy word, our Father, unto our hearts, That we may believe, and believing may walk before thee in the midst of the church and in the midst of the world as thy people. Cleanse us from sin and forgive our transgressions. For Jesus' sake, amen.